more exclusive interviews. Back to the Mulberry Lane Show, brought to you by ElisaIlana.com. Here's Mulberry Lane. Well, don't let the title banjo player fool you. Known as the premier banjo player in the world, Bela Fleck has taken the banjo and traveled the literal world and the musical world and rocked it in bluegrass, pop, rock, jazz, classical, and world beat. And the world has taken note. He has been nominated for Grammys in more categories than any other musician with 30 nominations and 15 wins. He plays the banjo, wrote a concerto, music virtuoso, Bela Flex on a show. Welcome to the show, Bela. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, not too many people put banjo and concerto in the same sentence, but you made a banjo concerto album with the Nashville True. Symphony. So what was uh-huh. that like? It was intense. It was frightening because um, as a banjo player, you don't learn how to get in front of an orchestra and not freak out. Okay. You know, you learn how to get in front of a bluegrass festival audience and not freak out, or you know, <laughs> in a small theater and not freak out. But playing like a memorized piece that's thirty-six minutes long, and if you screw up, it messes up the whole performance. is really difficult. So and even also, even Bela yeah. Fleck deals with nerves. Oh yeah, it's one of my driving forces is fear. Uh, I put myself into these terrible situations that I have to then somehow survive. In the process, I hopefully become a better person. You must really love extreme pressure. Well, I have learned that I do do pretty well under pressure and and as a way to sort of force growth, uh, as long as it's not constant. So, you know, occasionally, yeah, I deal with nerves because I'm learning so much music that I suddenly have to perform perfectly or try to perform perfectly that I get freaked out. But I still am usually pretty happy after the performance, and I go, well, that was worth it. I was pushed in a good way. It was a high jump. You know what's interesting now? One of the few places I don't feel that way is when I play with my wife, Abigail, or when I play bluegrass, which is is the center of my musicianship, is growing up in the bluegrass world. And I know how to play bluegrass, and I know how everybody plays bluegrass. I know how Earl Scruggs plays the banjo in bluegrass. I know how Tony Trishka plays. I know how Alan Mundy plays. I know how uh, the Osborne brother, you know, mm-hmm. Money uh-huh. plays. I know how J.D. Crow plays. So I know what the band is supposed to do in that music. And then I can make my own decision based on all of that about how I want to play. It's just when I'm playing my own music that I have no idea. I don't have any template to work from, and that's where sometimes the nerves come from because I'm trying to figure out how do I play the banjo in this world. Okay. When I get to play the music like I'm going to be playing, I know I'm blathering on here, but when I get to play the music coming up with Abby and Dale McCurry, it's like, it's so relaxed and it's so fun and it's such a great ex- uh, expression. Bluegrass is really where you feel your home. Well, that's where I'm from. Uh-huh. I, guess, I guess I'm so used to being in hot water that that's probably more my home now because I don't get to, I don't get back to bluegrass that often, but when I do, it's very sweet. And what Abby and I play isn't really bluegrass, although I use a lot more of the bluegrass techniques and Abby's an old-time player, and okay. she's, she's a great traditional singer. And so I think I bring a lot more of that to bear than I do in any other situation I'm in these days. It's a very comfortable. That There's a folk quality to it, there's an old-time quality, and there is a bluegrass quality to it. Uh-huh. Gotcha. Which is so easy to embrace as an audience, too. I think it's very unifying. It's beautiful music. It's one of the greatest things that America has come up with as a culture, bluegrass music. When you were doing the concerto and you're playing the banjo for 36 minutes straight or whatever, how do you prepare? Do you do segment by segment or what's the process? Well, I do both. Like um, sometimes I practice each section over and over and over again until I get it perfectly. But the truth is playing it straight through is a completely different experience. So if, if you only get really good at each section by playing it 10 times, 
uh, and then doing it, well, that's not what's going to happen on the performance. Right. You're going to play the piece straight through consecutively. So the best thing I can do is to perform it, is to practice the piece by playing it straight through, usually with the computer program that plays the other parts, mm, okay. um, and in front of people, in okay. front of friends. Like if I can do a, a warm-up concert, so I did a lot of that when I was first performing it to make sure I wasn't going to forget under the pressure of doing it in front of people and learn how to play the piece straight through. Uh-huh. Um, the truth is, in an orchestra piece like that, you get a lot of breaks. You stop while the orchestra does something, then you do something, then you do something okay. together, then you stop and they do something. So you actually get some rest, which is good. You're not just playing the hard stuff for 36 minutes straight, but you also have to start cold a lot, like out of nothing, bam, into full speed complicated uh-huh. stuff. Because any banjo players out there, you know, you're much better after you've been playing the song for a minute, and then you're really in the groove, mm-hmm. you know, until you get warmed up, and then you can burn all, all day long. But, you know, we actually recorded it live in front of the audience. It was pretty uh, high pressure, actually. Really? Um, yeah, because a lot of times with a symphony, because it's so expensive uh-huh. to have 60 people on stage performing, they'll edit together a lot of symphony pieces from live performances. And so in this case, we had three performances over the course of three days and a dress rehearsal. Okay. So we had four performances, and then we did a 15-minute, what they call a patch session, where you go, after everybody leaves the hall on the last night, you go back on stage and you play any of the parts that the conductor thinks that you missed. Okay, Okay. gotcha. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's great. And then you cut it together from all of that. Okay. Actually, even though you don't hear the applause and you don't hear the audience, um, they're there. and. Uh There's an intensity from a performance like that, even though you record the end of each movement so that there's no applause, applause or noise. at the end, right. You cut that in, uh-huh. and you, you, know, you clean up parts of it here and there. It's almost all of it is there's an audience sitting there. Wow. Well, you're with us here on the Mulberry Lane Show, and today we're talking with the premier banjo player in the world, Bela Fleck. You're a trailblazer with the banjo. There has been no one that has done what you've done. So how did you find the path? What motivated you? Well, one thing is I just loved Earl Scruggs. When I first heard him, and I was a little kid in New York City, and I heard the Beverly Hillbillies theme, and it just blew me away. And it wasn't related to any particular culture for me, any particular world. I didn't think, oh, country music. I didn't know what country music was. It just spoke to you. I just liked it. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I just liked it. And you got your first banjo when you were 15. So when you Uh, started playing it yourself, did that feeling continue? Yeah, then it was like, you know... I don't know, getting addicted to drugs or something. I could not put the thing down. I was so into it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I guess I probably do have an addictive personality because <laughs> I really could not put the thing down. It was it just turned me on. It made me alive when I had uh-huh. that instrument. And when they talk about the 10,000 the 10, yes. hours it takes to get really good at something, mm-hmm. I put them in. Right. You know, I'm still putting them in. Mm-hmm. So I think that's great when you find something you love so much that you can't stop doing it. You're going to get good at it. Uh-huh. Hopefully it's something healthy. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like playing the banjo. <laughs> it seems like your whole career has been a labor of love, and it seems like you've made decisions based on artistic intuition rather than, you know, fame or fortune. So what led you down that path? Did you just follow your inner voice? You know, it's funny. I guess maybe there's been a few periods in my life when I was in a group and somebody said, hey, if you just do this, you might make it. You know, I remember being in, in Spectrum, you know, and, and mm-hmm. thinking we should add drums and I should play pedal steel instead of the banjo. And I was like, I don't really want that. I, I love playing the banjo. And then in Newgrass Revival, it was like, add drums and, and don't play very much banjo. Maybe we'll get on country radio. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we did it for a while and I kind of regretted. I was just one of four people. Right. I couldn't tell everybody else what we should do. And I also was supportive of the idea of the band doing well. Uh-huh. So there's been a few times when I made those kinds of decisions. My Newgrass Revival being a super high ethical, uh, idealistic group. 
Okay. Still, you know, we still made records for Capitol Records in Nashville, and they wanted us to do something that was going to sell, and we didn't want to take the money for these big record projects and not deliver something that was going to do well. Right. But it didn't really work as well as us doing our own thing. Okay. And we were better at being weird rock wannabe bluegrass musicians than we were at being country, you know, renegades or whatever huh. before it was time for them. We didn't succeed. Huh. So one of my observations is that if you try to sell out, chances are you'll only alienate the people that really like you anyway, and you might not be as good at, you know... Like, some people look at the, the big successful stuff and figure it's like a lesser talent that does that stuff, but it's not true. Some people are just better at that stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, Justin Timberlake is not an untalented guy. That's true. He, you know, and he's going to be way better at doing exactly what he's doing than he is at doing, uh, uh, you know, jazz or something. Uh-huh. Right. Part of it is figuring out who you are than being as you as you can possibly be. I guess I've just learned that over the years, you know. Uh-huh. And by the time the flight tone started, we started to get some real radio airplay and some TV play, and we got the same pressures on us. You know, if you only did this, if you only did that, you know, you could be the next Kenny G or something. And uh-huh. and every time we tried, it just didn't really work out. We were better at being weird uh-huh. than we were at being straight. So I guess I've embraced that that's who I am and get to do things that turn me on. So now when you're faced with those decisions and someone wants you to be something you're not, how do you respond? Oh, uh, you know, I try to say no as much as possible, you know, and occasionally I go, well, I'm just saying no to everything, and why am I being such a, a <laughs> negative guy? You know, maybe I should do something. And once, every once in a while I do something, I'm glad I did it. Okay. It's be a nice experience. Well, more good stuff with 15-time Grammy winner, banjo player Bela Fleck, when we come back here on the Mulberry Lane Show, taking you to break with a portion of the banjo concerto that Bela just recorded for his album, The Imposter. Thank you. 